Welcome to season one, episode five of Eno Tools University, Racked But Not Filtered. With us today, a very special guest, all of you winemakers out there listening to these episodes, which I thank you for. You're guaranteed to glean some information from this one. This podcast is specifically about the legend, the pump we all call the Waukesha which uh, has been around probably, I don't know, Waukesha Pumps was founded in 1933. So we're a little late to the party on loving these pumps, even if we have loved them for 30 years. With me today, a very special guest, Drew Horton, one of my favorite winemakers, one of my favorite people. He's a personal friend, uh, somebody whose wine I was consuming prior to actually meeting the man. So when we actually did meet, it was very interesting to hear about uh, Drew's work experience and things like that. We're going to take a deep dive. We're going to talk about something that's not necessarily wine related once I give Drew a chance to introduce himself. So, Drew? My name is Drew Horton, and uh, currently I serve as, the, uh, as, a, as a researcher, uh, the enology the specialist for the University of Minnesota's Great Breeding and Enology Project. The University of Minnesota, since about the mid-90s, has been actively breeding and creating cold climate grapes, as they're known, or, or otherwise known as interspecific hybrid grapes, that have become, in the last 30 years, sort of a mainstay of the uh, wine and grape industry in the, in the Midwest, as well uh, out in the uh, extreme areas of the Northeast. People are growing these grapes uh, like Frontenac and, and Marquette and La Crescent and Itasca, uh, out in uh, in uh, in Vermont and New Hampshire and, and New York State, it's sort of a, a long road I took to get to this position. I actually started right out of uh, school. I went to the University of California in Santa Barbara. I was raised in uh, the central coast of California and started right out of uh, university. I, I took a degree in cultural anthropology of all things. Uh, but my first job uh, right out of school was as a wine salesman. And then I transferred to uh, tasting rooms. Uh, I got a job uh, working at uh, Robert Sinsky Vineyards in 1990 in the Napa Valley. I was there for about a year and a half before I uh, returned to Santa Barbara in uh, 1991 and took a job in the tasting room working for uh, Fred Brander at the Brander Vineyard. Now we're talking. Yeah. And uh, I was, I was, there for a couple of years, if you're all old enough to remember, in 1992, there was a, one of these, these small economic downturns uh, nationwide, and uh, I was having trouble finding a, a full-time position uh, in the wine industry, uh, and this is where my career took sort of a, a left-hand turn. My late father, Thomas Hort, used to work for the uh, Jacques Cousteau organization. Uh, my dad was one of the producers of the undersea world of Jacques Cousteau. After my dad left Cousteau, he started producing his own documentary films. And in the early 90s, he sold a film about uh, sharks to a, a little tiny company uh, called the Discovery Channel. And in, in that regard, my dad was sort of the godfather of Shark Week on Discovery Channel. Anyway, from 1992 to the year 2000, uh, I left the wine industry behind traveled the world, been to over 30 countries. I've filmed white sharks uh, in, in South Africa and Australia, tiger sharks in Hawaii. No, thanks. <laughs> reef sharks out, out in the Bahamas. Uh, anyway, after about eight or nine years of doing that, I uh, decided 
that I'd had enough of that and that I wanted to return to the to the wine industry. And so uh, just a couple of weeks before the beginning uh, of the wine harvest in 2001, I called uh, my old friend, uh, Fred Brander, and said, Fred, I'm, I'm leaving the TV business and I want to come back to the wine business. You've got harvest coming up in a couple of weeks. Any way I can get my old job back? He said, yes. He said, I, I can guarantee you uh, six weeks of work if you can come up here. Uh, and so I did. That uh, six weeks uh, turned into just about five years where I, I worked as assistant winemaker for, uh, for Fred Brander at the Brander Vineyard. In 2006, I left Brander and went to work for the Ganey Vineyard. Ganey Vineyard was another uh, winery, one of the early wineries in Santa Barbara that I had represented back when I was selling wine. And I took the job as seller master there. I was there for about two years uh, and then moved on again and went to work for uh, uh, Royce Llewellyn and Louis Lucas at uh, Lucas and Llewellyn Vineyards uh, in Solvang, California. And again, I was there for uh, just about two years and I switched gears again. I took an offer from uh, David Hopkins, who was the winemaker. He was a Gallo winemaker. Gallo had purchased Bridalwood State Winery uh, in Los Olivos in Santa Barbara County. They were in a growth spurt. So I spent three harvests, about two and a half years, uh, working for Dave Hopkins and the Gallo organization at Bridalwood, Bridalwood Winery as a, as a seller tech and as a, as, a, as a lab tech as well. From the time I was uh, at Brander, from about 2004 through 2010, I was also uh, working for a little tiny vineyard up in the hills above uh, Los Libos called uh, Boehner Fournier Vineyard. They're no longer around. Both Bob and Vicki Boehner have retired and, and moved to Arizona. But for about uh, six or seven years, I uh, uh, helped them manage their little four-acre vineyard, and we produced a few barrels of wine uh, every year. In 2005, we had our first uh, real commercial harvest there. I produced about 20 barrels of wine, produced a, a, a blend of Cabernet, Merlot, and uh, Petit Verdot. And we sent that off to the uh, Orange County Wine Competition in California. It's one of the uh, most significant, well-known wine competitions in California. And darned if my wine, the first wine, uh, won a gold medal there at Orange County. Nice. And over the, over the next few years, I uh, continued to make, uh, while working full-time for these other wineries, for Ganey and Lucas and Llewellyn, I was literally making wine in a converted three-car garage at the Banners Estate uh, Vineyard. I would work all day during harvest, uh, get home about nine o'clock at night, and then spend a couple hours making wine for them. Uh, I was younger and had uh, more strength and uh, stamina at the time. I still can't believe that I did all of that. But anyway, so finally, I was sort of a, a fully-fledged winemaker, even though I hadn't gone to school for it. And those first few vintages uh, for the for Bob and Vicki Boehner uh, did very, very well, uh, won a lot, of, a lot of competitions. As I say, I was at Bridalwood in 2010, and I was really looking for a fully-fledged winemaker position, which is not very easy to get if you don't actually have a degree. It's possible. Uh, with enough experience and a, and a good reputation. I was looking on winejobs.com, uh, which is, of course, where I've found my last five or six uh, jobs. An ad came up for a, a new winery being built in southern Minnesota. What yeah. year was that again that you saw the, the ad? 2010. 2010. Has it been that long already? It, it's been 12 years I've been out here in Minnesota, uh, and I'm staying here in Minnesota. I'm not returning to California. I took the bait, I applied for the job, and in uh, late 2010, I 
uh, packed up everything I had in California and moved myself out to Southern Minnesota and uh, was the founding winemaker for uh, Chancaska Creek Ranch uh, and Winery. And I was there for the first three vintages, uh, purchased, uh, designed and purchased the, the, the cellar, uh, ordered up all the custom tanks, bought all the equipment from you, uh, Joe. Funny enough, uh, the majority of the equipment we bought was from uh, Carlson Associates. So random. I was at uh, uh, Chancaska for three and a half years. I uh, left Chancaska to take a, uh, a position that had been offered by the University of Minnesota. One of the most interesting things to me about my job, I, I could have stayed in California like thousands of other winemakers making oceans of Cabernet and, and rivers of Chardonnay. But here in Minnesota, I'm, I'm among the first generation of winemakers to work with these new grapes. Within my work with the university and the research winemaker, I am, uh, without question, the first winemaker in the history of the known universe and on the planet to make wines from some of these new grapes. And that has its own little thrill. It's an amazing new world out here. We're continuing to have success. Though I am not in commercial winemaking anymore, I get calls every day uh, from commercial winemakers throughout the upper Midwest uh, with challenges uh, with wines or uh, they're trying to decide a, a new piece of equipment or they want to upgrade the equipment that they have. So I get to still get to participate uh, as a commercial winemaker, uh, working with new and upcoming and emerging new wineries. It's thrilling out here. When you make wine someplace like Minnesota, Ohio, Long Island, North Carolina, Virginia, I mean, your, uh, your challenges in terms of frost, hail, hurricanes. Yeah. Humid humidity. Uh, sour uh, rot. Yeah, increased, increased pest, increased disease pressure. No question about it. I mean, it, it seems like it's a lot harder. So when when I walk in and I, I see these guys going through this vintage after vintage after vintage, and they never know until three weeks before harvest if it will, in fact, be the best vintage of the last 10 years. So there's a lot riding on it when those grapes come in. And that's what I fully appreciate about the career that I have. I feel like to some extent I'm a partner in those successes when those great vintages come in, because after all, the job of your crush equipment once you have acquired great fruit, is don't ruin it. And that's the mindset that that drives the equipment from Carlson and Associates that I've been so lucky to be associated with since November of 2003. Officially, we put ink to paper at Unified in, in 04. I haven't looked back. I, I practically bleed Carlson Maroon, and it's definitely one of the one of the core brands of the Eno Tools catalog, and I would be lost without Carlson. And there, there hasn't been a time ever that that company, those guys, that great team that we've got in the shop, that Carlson's rule, Jim Carlson's rule, and his grandson, uh, Parker Borg, who's going to be running the company someday, who's currently working every station in the company before he's allowed to run it. Parker's mindset is the same. We never fail intentionally we never intentionally fail to exceed the customer's expectations there's no there's no question about that i i just want to throw in you've been maybe been working with them since 03 and 04 uh i've been working with carlson since, since 2001 uh, we bought uh, uh pumps uh and and hoppers uh when i was at uh, at brander and ganey and lucas and llewellyn and uh uh there was no question to me uh that carlson had uh, not only the best equipment, 
Uh, and again, there are other companies companies out there that make equipment. Uh, what no one else does as well as Carlson is provide that personal uh, service and and backup. And uh, I, I can't tell you how many times I've been uh, uh, on the phone on the phone with somebody at Carlson uh, with a with a wrench in my other hand uh, making a repair. And uh, it's always uh, easy and quick and direct. And Carlson it just offers outstanding sales support on top of their wonderful uh, American-made uh, equipment. Yeah, they do. That's one thing that makes them stand out. And for anybody who's who's interested in that that specific point that Drew just made, um, in the wine business, it seems like everything you buy uh, came to the U.S. in a container. Now, while Carlson does have a couple of things on their offering sheet which aren't exclusively manufactured in the U.S., um, if you do a comparison industry-wide, Carlson and Associates has more things which were either built in the U.S., built to uh, Carlson spec with a list of parts available off the shelf in the U.S., or you know something that was finished or or assembled or whatever in America. They do more, you know, in North America than their competition does, and there's kind of a common thread there. All the stuff that Eno tools offers is, uh, is kind of in that category. And I won't go into all that because I really want to focus on the pumps. So Drew, when was, when you weren't making shark films, which I'm just going to let that sink in. If there's anyone else listening to this episode who has suited up with a camera, jumped in the water with sharks on purpose, I, I want to meet you. So reach out to me. And I promise you, folks, if you ever have the opportunity, if you're ever at a wine convention or whatever, and you happen to run into Drew Horton, if you're looking for somebody to have a glass of wine with and talk in depth about the wine and how it was made, what its strengths are and things like that, find a way to steer the conversation into Drew's past and Drew's family. I promise you will not be disappointed. He's one of the most interesting people in the industry. So anyway, Drew, when did you go from a guy who made shark films to a guy who's operating a speed control on a Waukesha? Yeah, as I say, uh, even though I'd had experience in sales in the late 80s and that I had worked uh, a harvest uh, for, for Fred Brander uh, in the cellar in 1991, uh, again, I, I left the industry from 92 through, uh, through the end of 2000. Uh, so it was really 2001 that I left... Uh, uh, the documentary uh, business behind and went back full time uh, to the wine uh, production uh, industry. And I've, I've been there ever since. So and, when did uh, you see your first Waukesha? Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, no. I saw my first Waukesha in, in 2001. So 20, 21 years ago. All right. And that was a, that was an older model uh, at the, at the Ganey Vineyard. Uh, and that was when I first met uh, your colleague, uh, Joel Crosby. Uh, who uh, does all the uh, the Carlson uh, uh, maintenance uh, and repair uh, anywhere in California, uh, south of the Bay Area. And uh, uh, just like you, uh, uh, Joe, uh, Joel Crosby uh, is available and he shows up on time and he can answer any question and he can, he can fix just about anything. And, you know, even though you uh, and or Joel uh, are not winemakers per se you guys hang out at a at a lot of wineries uh and you guys know a lot of winemakers and you've seen just about every technique uh, every way to use every piece of equipment uh, uh good or bad 
And I was just always amazed that both you and, and Joel uh, were able to, to speak the language uh, of winemakers and to make uh, really excellent suggestions uh, about uh, process flow, uh, timing, uh, uh, lots of tips and tricks uh, uh, that newer winemakers aren't aware of. And so, yeah, I've been dealing with, uh, uh, with you, uh, with, with Joel Crosby and Carlson for, for, for better than 20 years now. Oh, we can't forget John Johnson, who's, uh, John is our Yoda. John is the, um, no question. He is, I'm sure somebody out there has said something to the effect of, uh, that guy has forgotten more than I know. No um, question. John is, um, he's an unusual individual. His, uh, his ability to retain information is, is off the scale and, um, John is now semi-retired from Carlson. So we don't, uh, we have to call his mobile to get him on the line. Um, John is, uh, he's, he has started a company called Johnson and associates, which is, uh, basically John and his son, Tim and you Texans. If you're any Texans out there catching this episode, you know, exactly who Tim and John are. Um, John's spending a lot more time in Lake Havasu and, uh, uh, Tim has been doing a lot of the Carlson service down in Texas. And the thing that all of us have in common, anybody who interfaces with the public um, uh, on behalf of Carlson, we all have to be technicians first. Carlson does not let anybody sell their stuff who's not uh, capable of fixing their stuff. And my gearhead history is, uh, you know, electronics in the military and, uh, uh, restoring cars and motorcycles, and uh, your, your, your father was a was a bit of a repair guy as well. He was a yeah. a, a millwright. Uh, am I am I wrong? Uh, you are absolutely correct. My father spent thirty three years at a salt factory in the Finger Lakes. He had to bid for a job as a union shop. He had to bid to become a millwright, and he spent the majority of that time as a millwright. Which, for the uh, uninformed, millwright is the guy who fixes everything, and. My father probably, given a different set of economic circumstances during his upbringing, uh, he was born in 37, so the economy wasn't exactly thriving back then. And uh, my um, my grandfather was part of uh, the uh, Civilian Conservation Corps and had a hand in developing uh, the walkways and stairways and bridges and things that you see around Watkins Glen State Park. But... Um, you know, there wasn't uh, there wasn't a whole lot of money in Schuyler County back then, unless you owned the salt factory. And um, so dad didn't have the resources to become an engineer, but he probably should have. And the thing that tortures me on a daily basis is my mother's an artist. My father should have been an engineer. So imagine what happens when I stand in front of a piece of equipment. I see about eight ways that it could have been built. <laughs> and, you know, I have to like channel that and focus on the job at hand and make sure that things are going to work in time for harvest. So one of the things that I love about Carlson's history, Jim Carlson is, uh, uh, he's probably arguably a mechanical genius. He was the first guy who put that legendary Waukesha pump head um, with parts which were specifically designed to be replaceable on a cart and put this whole thing together and has had 35 plus years to to perfect his recipe for this pump which you know it's gone through 
ownership changes. It's gone through some rebranding. We now officially, I guess legally, I'm supposed to refer to it as a Carlson positive displacement pump. The heads are now being specifically manufactured for Carlson with the name Carlson on them. And so over the years, Waukesha was a brand acquired by an outfit called SPX Flow. Waukesha Cherry Burrell was a different entity at that time. And I know there's some kind of relationship with Alpha Laval in there where I, I, I wandered into an Alpha Laval facility in uh, Virginia, I think, years ago. And I actually saw them making fittings and reducers and things that said Waukesha Cherry Burrell on them. So I was really, really confused by that. We had a we had an old Waukesha Cherry Burrell uh, at Ganey, and uh, uh, it had a, 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 a what do you call it, a, a, an analog uh, frequency drive on it uh, that uh, eventually wore out. And, and in the middle of harvest uh, in 2006, uh, uh, Joel Crosby show, showed up and, and rebuilt that pump and gave it a new frequency drive, a modern frequency drive. And uh, uh, as far as I know, that pump is still still running. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Joe. Weren't, wasn't that original design uh, uh, made for the for the dairy industry? I I can't speak to that because I've heard things like an old timer told me once that back in the '70s there was a promotional film made where they were trying to show how the that head design, which Technically, okay, we call it a positive displacement. My competitors sell knockoffs they call lobe pumps, and they try to pass them off as similar. They're not. They're not. Inside that head, you have winged rotors, but the technical name for that pump is a circumferential piston technology. In other words, there's a constant change of displacement based on these wing rotors there are two of them operating in opposite directions timed exactly 180 degrees off of one another with only about somewhere between 10 and 20 thousandths of clearance on the edges very very tight clearance this is really the diamond on this pump cart when you look at when you look at various pumps in the industry you see the working part the part that actually moves product the most significant part of this thing we sell uh, that we call now the Carlson positive displacement pump is that pump head. And it's attached to a pump head gearbox, which then is driven by a, a rubber coupling, which is cheap and easy to replace in the case of a catastrophic failure, like example, a corkscrew. Corkscrew makes it into your pump head or something. Um, the coupling is designed to take the grief, but then Behind that, immediately behind that, is another gearbox, which is separate from the motor. And then there's a seven and a half horsepower motor. If we're talking about the Waukesha 130, the 130 can pump 130 gallons a minute and it can move 20 tons of must an hour. So I'll, I'll get back to the parts list here in a little while. But the thing that winemakers care about, it's self-priming. It can run dry for short periods of time. It is incredibly powerful, even at low RPMs. It's capable of 80 PSI at uh, like one RPM. It's insane pumping the right product. It can generate 80 PSI. Um, that's bad news for your tanks and your hoses. So folks who use uh, 
folks who use a Waukesha in the cellar as the do-all pump, you must respect the pump. And there's absolutely no shame in asking your help two or three times if that valve is open at the other end of that hose. Double check, triple check. Anyway, so... I, I have personally used Carlson Waukesha style uh, pumps uh, when I worked at, 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 uh, at Bridalwood, which was, which was again, a, a Gallo facility. Uh, we, uh, we were using the, uh, what is that? The Joe, the, the, the large one, is that the 230 or the 260 or, or 220, go, I believe. They go, uh, 30, 40, 60, 130, 220, 320. 220. So we had a 220 at Bridalwood and we used a four inch, uh, hoses and you're absolutely right. We could, we could take, uh, two truckloads. We could take 80 tons and destem and pump those off uh, into uh, four ton open top fermenters. And we could do uh, 80 tons in, in a couple of hours without any trouble at all. Th those pumps are reliable. They are solid. They are also incredibly simple and easy to maintain. Certainly the heads are, are heavy. You don't want to, you don't want to gently drop one of those on your foot. Uh, but no. uh, they, they are solidly built. Uh, no question uh, that they are a 30-year uh, piece of equipment, if, if not a 50-year uh, piece of equipment. If you, you take care of them, uh, you, you, you change your ceramic seals, you, you keep them clean, you, you keep your, your O-rings changed every year or two, uh, those pumps will just go and go and go. And, and yes, they can do a lot in a short time. What I also like about them is they can, they can turn very, very slowly. Uh, and they're very, very gentle uh, pumps. Uh, so you can, they will tolerate the different speeds you need for, for filtration uh, or for, for barrel filling. Uh, they're just a, a, a flexible, solid, reliable uh, uh, industry standard. And uh, uh, they're not inexpensive, but- uh, Not anymore. Just like with most pieces of, uh, of machinery, you could pay for it now or you could pay for it later. And I'm I'm dead serious when I say if you invest in a in one of these uh, uh, Carlson uh, uh, displacement pumps, uh, it is money well spent. That pump will will stand by you and the subsequent generations as well. Your your grandkids will thank you uh, for for buying one of these pumps. We have them that go all the way back to when I first started out with with Eno Tools, and I've had the experience of walking into a cellar and seeing pumps which were there 10 or 15 years before me and the head itself the the wing rotors inside the head uh, are matched specifically to the head they're in each each individual set of rotors and and inside that shiny stainless head our our final machine so it would have it's effectively just a honing process for the final fit they're so meticulously manufactured built into them is the ability to have the head reconditioned two times in its life. And most people never need it done once, but there is occasionally you'll have the guy who puts the washer that fell off the harvester through the pump. I mean, that's, that's the one downside of a Waukesha is yeah, they, they will pump. Nuts or or tre trellis staples. If you, if you have to work with machine picked fruit, uh, a, a large trellis staple can, can bring things to a halt. Uh, but it doesn't take long to open it up and remove it. Uh, and if the, if the rotors haven't been too badly damaged, it'll just start working again. 
and most of the time what we see is you know stainless is stainless is unusual it has higher tensile strength than mild steel but it also has a strange property where it can actually be sort of smeared and you'll see a gouge sometimes if a staple goes through but the you know all you have to do is just take a, a file which has never been used on mild steel or else you'll be introducing uh, ferrous material to the stainless, which will leave a, a visual blemish, uh, visible blemish. Um, if you just use a file, uh, hopefully a clean file or a file which has only been used on stainless, just remove the high spots, forget about the gouge and get back to work. It's, it's pretty tough. And we have developed a few things to add to uh, a great production or great processing system to eliminate foreign objects. We have some really strong magnets, which we can offer as part of a must pumping system. And speaking specifically of moving must, I was uh, at Bellhurst Castle in probably 2005 or six. And I was sitting there, you know, trying to teach the new winemaker there about their must pumping system because there is a specific ratio. You want about 30% air. And if you're using a three inch hose that's clear, you want to be able to see 30% air and have the pump outrunning the must sump constantly. You always want the pump going a little faster than the sump. Now, this is where I'm reminded that my competition who sell a far inferior pump uh, do nothing but talk trash and, and throw rocks at the reputation of the Waukesha. Well, Folks, there's a reason why the word ubiquitous comes to mind when you see the wineries around the U.S. with unlimited, seemingly unlimited capital, and they could have purchased any must pumping system they wanted. They have a Waukesha, and the reason is this. I watched this winemaker pump fruit about 100, 100 to 150 feet in horizontal distance and then up about 40 feet into these fermenters that were way back in the corner of this huge processing facility. And I walked up the catwalk and poked my nose over the edge of that open top fermenter. And I saw uh, something that, that made me a believer. That Long Island Merlot, which was trucked up to the Finger Lakes, distemmed and crushed, pumped through a Waukesha must pumping system, the Carlson must pumping system, excuse me, that fruit falling out of that hose looked exactly like the fruit which was falling out of the distemmer. And this is audio only, so you can't see. Drew is nodding right now. That's absolutely true. They are they are strong and they are gentle. And uh, they don't uh, have a, massive problems with shear uh, like these, these rubber impeller uh, pumps can have. Um, and, and they're also very, very, again, I'll, I'll keep saying this, they're very low maintenance. They're very reliable and low maintenance. Uh, I worked somewhere where we bought, uh, uh, one of these darn, uh, peristaltic pumps and, you know, yeah, peristaltic in, in principle and on paper, peristaltic pumps are, are very gentle, but they're not very strong. They're not very fast. They're very expensive. If you have to have a tech come and replace uh, the rubber peristaltic uh, chamber or tube uh, that gets very pricey very quick as well. And uh, uh, again, I've, I've used all of these pumps in my career at small and large wineries. Uh, and uh, there's, there's no question the Carl style 
Carlson style uh, displacement load pump uh, is, is what you want to consider. They are they're strong, they're reliable, uh, they're very, very gentle. Um, and yeah, they, they, I've, uh, I forget we were using two inch lines, uh, and using a 130, and we filled a 6,500 gallon, uh, uh, tanker truck. Uh, I swear it had to have been about 20 or 25 minutes and, and we were done. Uh, they're just, uh, they can really go quickly, uh, with great power. Again, they can do everything in between. They can go very slowly and very gently as well. Uh, in infinite variable speed adjustment. I don't know why anybody would use anything else. I really don't. It's just about money. And, you know, the old saying, buy once, cry once. And if you, uh, I understand that uh, it's, it's smart for wineries to grow from earnings. And I always talk to people about, I always get that phone call. Of, I need a must pump. I'm making uh 3,000 gallons of, of wine a year, and I'm, I really want a must pump. And I say, no, you don't. Uh, what you want is a rotating head on your forklift and a few more bins and several more years of sales. And when it gets to a point where there aren't enough sets of hands or enough hours in the day at your winery, it is then time to start pumping must. I agree. And until then, do not cause yourself a bunch of corrective downstream labor by using a crappy must pump. And by crappy, here it comes. I can't stand impellers. Impellers slip. Impellers are doing a burnout on your wine. You're wondering when the impeller's worn out, where did that rubber go? Well, it's in your customer's liver. Um, <laughs> it's, it's somewhere. But yeah, I realize that's not very nice. But still, you have to wonder, where did the rubber go when the impeller wore out? I've often wondered. I mean, they are a necessary evil. If you're a small to mid-sized winery, every winery needs to have at least two pumps. And if your second pump is an impeller, great. But just use it knowing that you're probably introducing dissolved oxygen. You're probably causing some kind of an off flavor with that smoked rubber whenever the pump encounters enough resistance to start slipping. Centrifugal pumps, wow, they're, they're great, but they're just not a must pump. Uh, progressive cavity type of pump that has that big rubber screw inside it. They're great at making purple applesauce. The peristaltic pump, like Drew mentioned, is, is good for a kidney dialysis machine with a disposable chamber. My mother was a, a nurse and specialized in dialysis. So as a child, I got to see these working and I was fascinated by them. And I understand why, why they would move grapes well. But when harvest is over, that dedicated must pump is going to sit for the rest of the year unused. It's not good for anything else. The Waukesha is, sorry, the Carlson positive displacement pump is a do-all pump. Like Drew said, you can do filtration, bottling, tank transfers, barrel topping, uh, pump overs. It'll do pump overs. And I don't know of anything else more gentle and more useful with the, in the context of pumping must, Dave Ramey, you can call him, check this story. Dave Ramey did a test years ago because Jim Carlson insisted that his must pumping system was the best thing going. Well, Mr. Ramey did a test. He borrowed everybody he knew's must pump. He tested every type of pump available. The, the Carlson must pumping system versus progressive cavity, peristaltic, whatever. Um, everything that was available. 
And by testing for turbidity and sampling, you know, tasting the juice, uh, counting whole berries, counting seeds, etc. Dave came up with an official documented result, which uh, the, the determination that the only thing gentler than a Waukesha must pumping system was a bucket was made by Dave Ramey. And so I firmly believe and have the strongest conviction that anyone who uses one will see that they're every bit as good as everyone says. And then as far as handling your wine, there is not a gentler pump out there to do it with. Just a really quick side note, there are other people in the wine industry selling a Waukesha type pump. You know that um, imitation is the most sincere form of flattery. You know that criticism means that you're doing something right. Whenever you're, whenever you are the high profile one with the reputation, you're going to take some pot shots. Some people say that pumping dry fruit is hard with a Waukesha because you have to stop the pump and stop the must sump and back them both up and then restart. Wow, you're having a terrible day if you're dealing with fruit that's so ripe that it's that it's dry and you're you're having to suffer through pumping the must. Um, I understand that. It can be challenging when the fruit is extremely ripe and extremely dry. But this is where, you know, the reminder comes in. The Waukesha can run dry for short periods and it should always be outrunning the sump. And if you're running the pump like that, you won't experience that clog, plain and simple. It's not actually, it's not moving fruit by virtue of pushing it mechanically. It's moving fruit by a change in pressure. And all the screw sump does is present the grapes to the column of air, which is passing through the pump. So it works like a vacuum. As long as you've got the pump out running the sump, you won't have an issue. Um, other people who sell a pump like this uh, I, I don't know their name, but if they're listening, I'm calling you out. I had a customer call. I had a customer email. And he demanded that we sharpen our pencil, using his term, on our price. Now, anybody who's ever been in sales knows that when you don't own the business, when you aren't the one buying the parts and doing the work to assemble things, you certainly don't have the power to set price. Carlson sets their pricing at a level which is fair, it's firm. In other words, you're not going to get a break on price because you know a guy. Everyone pays the same for, for machines from Carlson. And it doesn't matter if Jim, you know, if, if Jim's trying to buy a, a new sailboat this year or not, the price is going to be based on the same formula. The, com the competitor was offering a cart with a frequency drive on wheels and so a speed control a remote control a power cord and uh a, a list of various parts and offering to my customer a pump which was around sixteen hundred dollars cheaper so i asked my customer if he could please provide me with a build sheet from that pump and then i showed him mine and i said here are specifically the pumps the, the pieces that we use on this pump, if you can go out into the marketplace and buy these parts and assemble your own Waukesha 130 for less money 
then I will ask Mr. Carlson if he can come down to that price. See, the trick is that you can't. You're not buying frequency drives at the volume that Carlson is. You're not buying NEMA 4 enclosures for the controls that Carlson is, et cetera. You get the point. So after looking at the customer's uh, at the competitor's build sheet, I got on eBay and I found all the parts that they were using for their pump. And then I put it on a spreadsheet, added it all up, sent it back to the customer and said, by my calculations, they should be offering you their quote unquote competitive pump for $3,000 less, not $1,500. Why don't you call them and see if they'll come down another $1,500? For whatever odd reason, I didn't get the sale, but I made my point. We're selling a better pump at a fair price. And, you know, that's stainless steel's gone up. The price of labor has gone up. It's a tough labor market. And that pump does cost more now than it ever has. But with some creative accounting, with Section 179, uh, deduction for investing in equipment with, with a depreciation schedule, um, your accountant can make that thing pencil out and make it pay for itself. And on the crush pad, what you save with labor and the seller, what you save with downstream corrections, uh, you know, measures you would have to take to, to uh, eliminate the high solids you got from using a, a, an inferior pump or, you know, having issues with phenolics or turbidity or whatever. Dissolved um, oxygen. Yes. And dissolved oxygen in the finished wine. With all the things that you don't have to work to correct because you're using a great pump, it will pay for itself eventually. And I know that's a terrible topic and nobody wants to hear that from me. When it's time for a piece of equipment like that, when it makes sense for your business, if you buy anything else, you may not be as happy at the end of the day. I'll tell that to anybody who, who will listen. I've been through similar situations. I do a little bit of independent consulting and I always recommend the, the Carlson uh, pump. And uh, as you say, there, there are a few, very few competitors out there. And certainly it's, it's easy if you just compare costs, compare the price, it could be an easy decision. But I'm uh, somewhat, coming from someone who's been dealing with these machines for 20 years, I can unequivocally promise you uh, that uh, that the Carlson model is is going to have fewer problems, is going to last longer, uh, is just all around a, a better quality unit, and uh, uh, it's 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 worth every penny you pay, and it's worth more than that. Uh, you know, Joe, we forgot to mention you. Any of these potential customers should just call existing customers. And see what they have to say. Because I don't know anybody who owns one of these pumps that won't recommend it. I've never, ever heard anybody say, oh, I wish I had bought the cheaper pump. Or I wish I had, you know, had, had a larger impeller pump. Everybody who gets one of these, 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 these Carlson Waukesha style pumps is, is happy with them. And, and they simply, you don't see a lot of these used pumps out there because anybody who's got one's going to keep it. The only time you see one used is when it is when a winery is going out of business. Uh, and even, and, and, and there's a, and there's a clue there. Uh, they've been in business for 10 or 15 or 20 years and they're going out of business and they want to sell uh, their pump and you take a look at it and it's really well used. 
uh, and it and it still works great. To me, it's a it's a it's a non-issue. It's it's the best pump out there, no matter what your processing purpose is. And I've just over twenty years, I've had this proven to me again and again and again. Well, here's something that might shock you. Um, no, 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 it won't shock you because you know you've dealt with these guys. Um, we had a customer, which Eno Tools or Carlson, neither of us had ever done business with these people. We just didn't know them. You know, it was one of those situations where every once in a while you'd figure out that you don't have a working relationship with every winery in the U.S. yet. Uh, you can try. So these folks call out of the blue. Um, I can't remember which Eastern state they were in. They got a hold of me and they said, Hey, we found a used Waukesha on the West coast. And, uh, uh, can you tell us about it? What do you know about it? So, you know, I poked around, I, I talked to the service tech who's responsible for the area where, where that winery was, the guy selling the Waukesha. And, you know, there was nothing apparently wrong with the pump, um, it had had a, a pretty charmed life as far as we knew, as far as we could discover. And so while I was inquiring about that, it was brought to my attention that Carlson offers the service. If you buy a pump on the West Coast and you're someplace East before you drop the money on it, and especially the shipping part these days, yuck. Um they will actually take the time to look over a pump that they have no vested interest in. So you could ship the pump to the Carlson shop in Healdsburg, California, have our guys go over it with a fine tooth comb and only end up paying for whatever it actually needs. And maybe it only needs an O-ring set. So a set of O-rings is like, yeah, what are they up to now? $27, $30 for a set of O-rings. And they'll go through it and check the lube and make sure there are no death rattles going on and no warning signs of, of severe abuse or anything like that. Who do you know who even takes an interest in their stuff, old, used. They've already made their money on it. That ship has sailed. I mean, Carlson. Nobody, nobody will do that. And none, Carlson, of, none of the big, none of the big suppliers will do that. They, they do not want to help you fix or, or ascertain the quality of any used equipment. They want to sell you used equipment, new equipment and only new equipment. Right. As a matter of fact, it, is the, one of the largest companies, which I shall not name, if you buy uh, some of their equipment used, they'll stall you. They they'll tell you they don't have parts available for. It. They'll they'll tell you that they that that, that, that it can't be fixed. Uh, that you have to buy a new one. I've been around and around uh, uh, with that company a few times, and and had a few phone battles with them uh, because obviously they're they're not telling the truth. Very frustrating. Uh, but you don't have that problem with Carlson. I can tell you stories about customer service situations where we've had one or two people who, for whatever reason, weren't happy. There was a, a guy in uh, in Virginia who picked up some other equipment from Carlson. This guy had 17 vintages under his belt. So this wasn't his first harvest. And he picked up a couple of machines and called me with expressing some great dissatisfaction. Well, what it boiled down to was the speed control on the stemmer. He thought that was calibrated for tons per hour. So once I drove the thousand miles to go out and, and explain that 
uh, we were going to process some fruit. And if the gentleman was still unhappy with his equipment, that I would hand him a check and arrange for a, a pickup, a full refund. And then I said, you know, let's let's process some fruit. So luckily, the old distemmer and old receiving hopper were still there. We put the two systems side by side. And as soon as I started going through the setup, like, okay, if you're going too fast, you'll have excessive rachis in the must. If you're going too slow, you'll have excessive fruit in the waste bin. Striking the balance for each lot, you know, of fruit is, is something you can do once you've nailed down the infeed rate of the fruit coming in. You know all this, you know, it's it can change from one corner of the vineyard to the other. The speed might need to be changed just a little. So standing there speaking with this guy, it was then that I realized that he thought the one through 10 on this speed knob, he thought that was tons. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, bless your heart. You know, we had a, so I found a graceful way to sidestep that and just went on to explain the thing about, you know, the fruit in the waste bin versus the rachis and the, in the must. And at the end of the day, I did torture him. Um, I made sure that we took fruit from both systems, dumped it on a table, counted whole berries, looked at the amount of free run in the, in the must. Uh, and, uh, we had a conspicuous advantage on that too, even though we weren't even pumping must that day, we were just using bins. But the point is that Carlson was prepared to send him a check and take the equipment back if he didn't love it because they don't want unhappy customers on their reference list. So, yep. yep. Very true. That's been my so, experience. So anyway, I think we've, uh, we haven't really whipped a, a, a dead horse yet, but I think we pretty much covered it for an all purpose do all pump, which is an absolute legend, partially because of the team it's backed by partially because of the fact that it's a great design with a bunch of really good parts on a domestically manufactured cart. I mean, Carlson makes the cart. It's really hard to beat the legend, the Carlson positive displacement do all pump slash must pumping system. Mr. Horton, it's been uh, it's been nice to visit with you today. And well, Joe, always. How do we find you if if somebody needs some consulting help? in the cold climate or in the Midwest or wherever, if somebody needs a consultant, needs a second set of eyes on, uh, how about this site selection aspect on the site, what to plant? Oh boy. That's, that's really the greatest question. I'm so glad you brought up the, the site selection, uh, because that really will, will, will either ensure, uh, or prohibit, uh, the long-term future of a successful high quality, uh, vineyard and winery business, uh, here in the upper Midwest. So uh, uh, I'm really glad you mentioned that. That that Forget building the winery. Forget what kind of wines you're going to make. Forget all of that stuff. The, the best choice you can make in establishing a new winery in the upper Midwest is the site selection. So thank you for bringing that up. Um, I am available uh, for all kinds of consulting. Uh, I'm easy to find. Uh, my email address is uh, my name is Drew Horton, so my email address is D Horton H O R T O N uh, at U M N dot edu. It's like the University of Minnesota. One more time, that's D Horton at U M N dot edu, or you can simply pick up the phone and call me at area code five zero seven nine nine five two eight zero three. Joe, thank you for the opportunity to tell my stories and to share my experience. So that's it. 
Everybody loves closure. We're wrapping up season one, episode five, the legend, the Carlson must pumping system, the Carlson do all positive displacement pump. Thank you so much for listening and please keep watching for, for more. There's a lot more to dive into. We're going to have a lot more episodes after this. So thank you, Drew. Thank you, Joe. Take care, y'all. All right. See ya.